to episode 208 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 19th of December 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Ho, ho, ho. It's our end of year review. It's nearly Christmas time, so we're going to talk about the news that has shaped the year. Let's start with some good news, <laughs> and that is uh, the NASA stuff. The Mars helicopter has done just way better than we ever thought possible. It's really done us proud as Linux users. I think it's a win that we can really claim. I don't know about you, but I had complete faith in it, so I don't know where <laughs> I would even like. It's not hardly worth a mention, I would say. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. Linux goes does what expected, bang, <laughs> and it's done so well that they might even send more helicopters into space running Linux. I can't remember what the current state of it is. I, I think that it was in sort of hibernation over the Martian winter and was hoping to wake up again uh, when things warm up and when the sunlight increases again. Um, but I, I can't be exactly sure, but hopefully this is not the last of it. Hopefully it's still got some life in it. But uh, the Martian winters have killed many a robot, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, but even if it does kill it, it's already achieved way more than it was planned to. So it's already a huge win. Yeah, and I think we mentioned this before. It's so nice to see something under promise and over deliver. Um, and I love the way that they do that. It's just, it's just so reassuring. And it's just such an unexpected turn when everything's usually the opposite. Yeah, well done, Nessa. And uh, also a quick mention for them, potentially moving to Risk Five, partnering with Sci Five. We talked about this in September. So that could be a big win for the RISC-V ecosystem. So we'll have to see how that pans out. But the real big win for this year has been gaming, specifically the Steam Deck. That came out in February. And the initial reviews weren't amazing, but it's had tons of software updates. I think 90 plus software updates at this point. And I know, Graham, you've taken yours with you away for Christmas. So you must still like it. I love it. I think it's absolutely amazing. I can't believe like I'm running KD Plasma on this portable device. It's powerful enough to do things like, well, it's easily powerful enough for recording the podcast and running a mumble server on the desktop mode and also playing all those games. I was playing the Wii version of Metroid Prime earlier on today. It's so cool. I still can't get enough of it. I think what really surprised me because I'm open-minded, I would have installed Windows on it to see if there was a performance boost for using the AMD drivers on Windows. But I haven't felt the need in any way to install Windows on it. It runs brilliantly, and it does also for the vast majority of people I can see who have all stuck with Linux. And it's pushed gaming ahead on Linux generally. Yeah, I think so. Um, Proton has become a real thing, even on the normal Linux desktop. There are lots of people pushing Proton tools to use the very latest versions that Valve release. It's this way of emulating Windows on Linux, which often has better performance, is being used by the games developers and the publishers themselves as like a platform to optimize their games. And it's just, it just works. I can't quite believe it's this good. I don't even bother checking whether a game works on Linux these days. I just buy it assuming it will. And I haven't been surprised yet. It's pretty amazing. I mean, fair enough, that's not the Steam Deck, but. I'm reaping the benefits of it being such a big thing there. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Even if you don't really care about having a 720p relatively low power gaming rig, even if you've got a beast of a machine, you're still going to benefit from the Steam Deck and all the development on Proton. It's funny, there was a, an article on The Verge, an interview with some of the Steam Deck team, where they said that they're paying more than 100 developers to work on Proton. 
presumably that's not full time, but nevertheless, that is people working on open source software. That's pretty good from Valve. Another thing I find interesting is that, well, in, in modern parlance, Valve have been opinionated. They've pushed their own version of Arch. They've made it read only. They've built it in the way they wanted to build it in without making any compromises to the community other than making everything open source. And I think they've shown that it can work like that. We don't always have to be super open about everything. If you're going to be single-minded about something, it can lead to even better success. And maybe we see that in um, like the Mars rovers and the helicopters as well. It's a, it's a real success at how Linux can be shoehorned into doing something this way. Yeah, I suppose having Valve just be the dictators of how SteamOS is going to be. Hmm. Obviously, listening to the community and adding features and fixing bugs and everything, but being the sole stewards of it, not having any sort of committee decision-making is what has made it a success. Yeah, I really think so. I really think that's been key. And as you say, they have been open, even though they don't respond one-to-one with comments. You can see that there'll be comments and even Reddit and then a couple of weeks later, there'll be a fix and some update, which are constant. Like every week or every couple of weeks, there's an update to the beta channels. It's really exciting. The other real success, I think, here has been hardware availability. We've been through shortages of every component and processor that you can imagine. Steam were delayed in in shipping some of their units, but they seem to have got caught up. And now they're saying, if you want one, order one, and you'll get one. I, I read about them giving away thousands of units over Christmas in competitions and stuff. And that in its own right is worthy of sort of celebration. So they've really impressed me with the organization behind all of this. And I know this is turning into a bit of an advert for the Steam Deck, but I also think it's pretty good value for money. Um, A couple of people have been in touch with me and I've recommended that they get the, the version with the smallest internal storage because the SD card performance is just so good. And they've done that and they've been really happy. And those devices, for what you're getting, a self-contained computer, you know, GPU, screen, everything, and a con- really good controller, it, it's, it works perfectly. Yeah, for the price of a shit laptop. Yeah, yeah. Just the battery. But, you know, there has to be a compromise somewhere. But on the other side of gaming, cloud gaming, Stadia went away this year. Shocking absolutely no one. Real shame. (laughs) It is a real shame, I think. I think that had it been a huge success, we could have seen more work from Google paying developers to make games work on Linux. That was always my hope for it. I was hoping that they would make the drivers work better, make Proton work better, drive more native games potentially on Linux, but it just wasn't to be. I never got the same feeling that I get from Steam. Mm -hmm. Google seem to be keep it in their data center and it's just a magic thing. I never got that feeling that they want to actually push that out and help. Maybe that's harsh, maybe wrong. Whereas you feel like Steam's in it with everybody else. It's like they're sort of building a community, building a momentum behind it sort of thing. Whereas Google just did that whole corporate fire over the wall thing. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. My expectation, should Stadia have come to anything, would have been complete secret source. You're not allowed to look behind the curtain. It's all ours. You get on with it. And never would any of this have flowed upstream to Linux or to anybody else. It's funny, though, that they announced the death of it in September and then in October launched cloud gaming Chromebooks (laughs) that were going to use NVIDIA's GeForce Now and potentially some other cloud gaming systems. And it feels like maybe they finally killed Stadia because 
they knew these were coming and the Chromebook team must have said to them, look, what's going on? Are we going to have Stadia front and center on this or not? Are we just going to pretend it doesn't exist or are you going to actually kill it? But that actually probably gives too much credit to the different teams that Google actually talking to each other. The only thing that hates Google products more than Google is the teams within Google developing those projects. I thought you were going to say you. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's on a different level, Graham. I wouldn't compare myself to any of them, really. That's axiomatic at this point. (laughs) That's a big word I don't understand. I'll have to look it up later. (laughs) It means taken for granted, Phelan. Ah, but we all got our money back, or at least um, Will and I did, who bought the yeah. uh, cheap sell-off controllers, which I can't quite believe. Um, <laughs> and I, I really do wish they'd open up so we can use those controllers past the life of Stadia. Wirelessly, at least, yeah, because you can still plug them in, can't you? But yeah. who wants to do that in 2023? Yeah, not, not I. Just get a really long USB lead, it'll be fine. It's almost like the designer of my two controllers heard what you said there, Joe. (laughs) 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 Two 20-foot USB cords, you said? Yes, please. Yeah, but you don't want people snooping on your your playing through, you know, wireless. Too damn right, I don't. Mm. (laughs) I'm that good, people will be around to try and interfere with my signals. (laughs) Yeah, they'll they'll be uh, keylogging your (laughs) button presses. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Well, 2022 has been the year of AI on the, not on the desktop. Bullshit that doesn't exist. (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. Bullshit that doesn't exist. But it's, it's been the year of AI, uh, like user facing AI, let's put it that way with things like the image creation and the uh, chat GPT stuff. Image rehashing, you mean? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And almost peak 2022 AI was in June when they, the Google engineer claimed that it was fucking sentient. I mean, <laughs> I can't believe that anybody took that seriously. I'm not sure. I mean, if you look at the examples that humans have been up to this year, I'm not sure humans are that sentient either. <laughs> yeah, true. And from our point of view, GitHub Copilot becoming generally available also in June, that was the huge story, really. And that is ongoing. We still don't know the legal status of it. Several legal minds have put their opinion forward, but that hasn't been tested. And I think that as we go into 2023, we're going to see a lot of this AI stuff in terms of copyright, in terms of the works that we use to train the models and what that means for what the AI algorithms spit out. That's all going to be tested in court, I think, or we're going to start to see the first tests in court. So it's going to be a very interesting time, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I I think that we have 
barely scratch the surface of the wild and wacky news stories that are going to come out over the next couple of years. There's going to be some really weird stuff coming out and some really just bizarre situations that the law is not really in a position to cope with. And that there's going to be a bit of a scramble, I think, to to try and build the law up in a way which tries to contain AI before it's too late. I saw recently people spitting out Mickey Mouse artwork from, uh, I can't remember which one it was, one of, one of the art producing ones anyway, trying to sort of go Disney into suing them. That's the kind of subterfuge I like. Well, I think that Disney getting involved in a legal case is going to really shine a light on it. and it's going or, to, or shine a light on the fact that they've had that copyright for just a bit too long. like Lobbying to get it extended and extended and extended. Yeah, that's a different story altogether. But stuff like that, I think, is going to really come to a head or start coming to a head. Legal shit always takes ages, so it might be another five years. But I think in 2023, we're going to see uh, the start of that. But this isn't predictions. That's next time. Let's move on to a section that I've called M dollar sign slash canonicals. <laughs> it just struck me that, wow, those two just go together now. And uh, I don't know how that makes me feel. But uh, the, the first one was that uh, Leonard left Red Hat and went to Microsoft. And that was in July. And then totally coincidentally, in September, SystemD support arrived in WSL. Curious. No, no, I do think it was a coincidence. This was being worked on by community members that we've talked about. And I know what you're going to say, Phelan, just you're going to trot out the same old bollocks. We don't want to hear it. This is uh, big for Linux. And now that Systemd is there, it's unlocked snaps, it's unlocked loads of shit that wasn't available before. It's made it a proper first-class citizen on Windows. Look, uh, you keep saying it's big. I would like evidence. I don't see any evidence, therefore I'm not making any decision based on it, but I don't like it. It's big, Phelan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, now I'm convinced. <laughs> yeah, he works for Canonical and everything. He knows. Yeah, well, okay. Well, fair enough then. I mean, clearly I'm wrong. Yep, good. Carry on then. I don't know. I can see how advantageous it may be, but I can also see that it can stop people needing to do anything. And you know, might say, well, they probably wouldn't have come across anyway. And then I'd say, well, then what's the point? Because somebody being able to use something on WSL doesn't help me one iota of a bit, and it doesn't solve any problems for me. The build systems are all still run on Linux. Therefore, all we're really doing is stopping desktop Linux being effective. We've given somebody a way to get around it. And I don't have much evidence to back that up either. And I really think it will be a good PhD project for somebody who's into that type of thing. I really think we still live in a bubble. I know it feels like we don't, but there's a whole world out there, maybe a majority of whom have never heard of Linux. And I've met people this week, incredibly smart, professional people. They've used Windows their whole life. They've never even heard of Linux. I think there's lots of people like that. WSL, Linux in front of them on Windows, which is the only thing they understand of as a computer, is huge. Yeah, because then they think that Microsoft made it and therefore it's all their thing. And that's probably part of the issue that maybe I have with it is the fact that, fair enough, people who, we might be in a bubble, but the thing is, I can exist in this bubble and I can do my work in this bubble. As long as they're not encroaching on my territory and trying to crush what I do. The danger I always see with that is the fact that Microsoft never play nice for long. That's exactly what the conservatives would say. <laughs> <laughs> you call him failing a Tory now. Yeah. yeah. I think you have gone mad now at this point. <laughs> yeah. A little bit too much wine. 
Well, also in our m$sign/canonical section, we've got Canonical Seek's Desktop Gaming Product Manager. This was from January, and uh, it's December, and that position is still available. Could that possibly have anything to do with this was my first step in the interview process at Canonical? I withdrew my application <laughs> and uh, my interview process. Two Reddit links of people who were trying to get a job at Canonical and just thought, fuck that, I'm not writing a bloody essay, a book. I seem to remember Will standing up for this process, even when he's out of Canonical, so... <laughs> Did I? Uh, sort yeah, of. I might have done. <laughs> the time-wastering, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think at the time you uh, were doing a bit of hiring and felt the pain of Canonical, let's say. The vast majority, and this is based on fact, not just speculation, the vast majority of applicants to jobs that I have tried to hire for have not bothered to read the job description, have none of the skills that are required, and are just, in my opinion, firing out resumes left, right, and center and seeing what sticks. So I, yeah, you're right. I do feel some sympathy for people who are having to wade through resumes uh, and knee deep in them, especially a company like Canonical, which I imagine still attracts loads more applicants per job than the vast majority of other open source companies. So the engineering managers, the hiring managers have got their work cut out for them. Anything which tries to help them find better candidates, I, I, I understand why it exists. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. We appreciate all the support that we've had this year. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember that for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux After Dark, and Linux Downtime. And you also occasionally get episodes early, so uh, do check that out. And if you want to get in contact, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Tailscale. Go to tailscale.com. Tailscale is a VPN service that makes the devices and applications you own accessible anywhere in the world, securely and effortlessly. It enables encrypted point-to-point -point connections using WireGuard, which means only devices on your private network can communicate with each other. Unlike traditional VPNs, which tunnel all network traffic through a central gateway server, Tailscale creates a peer-to-peer -peer mesh network. It handles complex network configuration on your behalf, so you don't have to. Network connections between devices pierce through firewalls and routers as if they weren't there, so there's no need to manually configure port forwarding. Tailscale is available for Linux, Mac, Windows, Raspberry Pi and ARM, Android, iOS, Synology, and for devices that don't allow additional software to be installed, such as printers and other embedded devices, where you can set up a subnet router to act as a gateway, relaying traffic from your Tailscale network onto your physical subnet. So go to tailscale.com and try it for free on up to 20 devices. That's tailscale.com. All right, let's crowbar in some Raspberry Pi talk just so we can shit on them. <laughs> So uh, in June, they had the Raspberry Pi Pico W, the $6 IoT platform. This was uh, an update to the Raspberry Pi Pico, which was actually quite a good and useful update, I seem to recall. Yeah, this was a real competitor for the ESP8266, which has been around for a long time. It's a good bit of hardware. It's well supported, but it sucks a hell of a lot of power. And the Pico W promised to be a little bit more energy efficient and get the entire Raspberry Pi maker community behind it. Um, it was an exciting new product and the price was right and the availability was right. Yeah, that availability issue, that has dogged the main Raspberry Pis, the threes and the fours, at least in recent months. 
where Raspberry Pi have just favored all of their industrial B2B customers, business to business, and the B2C customers, the you know, the makers have just been left high and dry. You can just buy them for ridiculously inflated prices on uh, eBay and Amazon and stuff. And that was kind of the uh, the festering undercurrent of what caused a real drama on social media, actually since we last recorded. There's a BuzzFeed article, Why Raspberry Pi's New Hire Caused a Social Media Firestorm. And oh man, just talk about tone deaf and not reading the room and like... They posted on their blog about their new maker-in-residence, who is this ex-surveillance police officer who talked about using Raspberry Pis to hide surveillance equipment in street furniture, like lampposts and shit. Do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> <laughs> and then all the ACAB brigade got on them. The, you know, all cops are bastards. You didn't know that, I couldn't fail him. I did not. I'd never heard of that before. Yeah, you're just not down enough with the uh, SJWs, are you? That social justice warriors. <laughs> I'm not. So that was kind of misjudged. And then the fucking reaction to the backlash, the uh, social media person just started blocking people, being childish to them, and that just made it even worse. And so this is on Twitter as well as Mastodon. And on Twitter... It wasn't as bad, potentially because the bots came to defend them. I don't know if that's true. I think that's a bit far-fetched. But on Mastodon, it was just a pure fucking pylon. And then this BuzzFeed article appears where Liz Upton, who is the uh, co-founder, starts saying that it was organized on a Discord or whatever, and it wasn't organic, and tried to blame some previous post about pigs in blankets or something. It's just fucking ridiculous shit, man. Just just really showing how out of touch they are. I wasn't that outraged by it, but like, way to not really read the room. I think that the reaction to people being pissed off that they'd hired a cop was, well, I don't know, blown out of all proportion. The appropriate response from Raspberry Pi would have been, oh, fuck off. But they didn't. They they went down with it. I think a lot of the backlash came from people thinking that because this guy was surveilling people, he must be surveilling innocent people. But the British cops don't work like that, I don't think. And I think that he would have been investigating serious organised crime syndicates, or whatever you call them, not Mavis from next door. It would have been <laughs> like proper criminals. So I don't really think that there was ever a story here. Uh, but nevertheless, I agree with you, Joe, that it was tone deaf and um, should have been shut down at the very, very beginning and perhaps never even brought up in the first place. So this was on the Friday, and then, lo and behold, on the Monday, Eben Upton posts, supply chain update, it's good news, talking about how the supply chain is getting better, and by the middle of 2023, we're going to be back to normal, and you'll be able to buy them, and already you'll be able to buy some threes, and the fours will be coming any day now. Yeah, I particularly love the condescending, in quotes, very patient, enthusiast customers. It's like, I don't know, that didn't sit right with me at all, but maybe I was just being over annoyed by it at that point. There was something about the tone that rubbed me up the wrong way. They were deeming their customers, their enthusiast customers, to be uh, worthy of receiving some stock. Uh, that sort of got my back up, and it, it felt like it should have been the other way around, that the enthusiasts that have been there from the beginning and who have built the community deserve support, deserve more products being released for them. I'm not sure how I feel about this. 
This is a big social media blow up. And it's also the Raspberry Pi Foundation, I feel, for a long time has been looking after interests that aren't directly community focused. If they ever have been, I think they've always done what they feel is best in their own world. You know, their partnerships with Microsoft and all that kind of thing. They've done what they want to do and what they feel is best. So I'm not too surprised by this. I think they've done an awful lot of good and will continue to do a lot of good. The supply issue, I'm not surprised either. I realize now I backed a load of Kickstarter synth projects over the last three years, and now they all seem to be delivering. So I'm not surprised they've got on top of those things. I think it is a big storm in a teacup, but at the same time, their tone has always annoyed me. I've always found it a bit patronizing. It'd be nice if it wasn't quite so. It's all a bit rah-rah Cambridge, isn't it? It's all a bunch of Cambridge graduates who are, you know, just a bit fucking posh. <sighs> Is how I've always seen it. Not that there's anything wrong with being posh, but, you know, a bit posh and out of touch, maybe. But I think they lucked out a little bit on the success of the Raspberry Pi in the same way that kind of Bill Gates looked out with the success of Microsoft because the PCAT patent was opened. You know, they're in the right place at the right time, and they deserve a lot of credit for that, but they don't deserve all of the credit for that. There's a lot of luck involved and a lot of external circumstances with which they had nothing to do with. Um, and so they should be sensitive to that. You make your own luck, Graham. What kind of Tory are you? <laughs> I think one of the biggest open source wins of this year has come really towards the end of the year, and that is this whole Twitter thing. Mastodon has gained so many users, so much mainstream adoption, and just this idea of social media that is not centralized, that is truly open source, that is federated, yeah, not everyone is getting on board with it, but you've even got some celebrities and stuff coming over now. And the clusterfuck that is Musk buying Twitter and destroying it, I think has been a real win for open source. I remain to be convinced that Mastodon will continue to be popular and that people won't just get bored of it and go back to Twitter. I only use Twitter, really. I don't really use Mastodon. And I see people on Twitter saying, oh, I'm leaving, and they're still there. And that seems to be the theme for me, is that people were leaving, did leave, then came back again because actually Mastodon was a bit weird and they didn't really understand it. So it, it's, it is a great success. It has put the name out there. But what I don't think it's done is really put open source out there. People didn't go because it was open source. They went because it wasn't Twitter. And I don't think that's enough, really. So when another centralized platform somehow emerges as the winner, they'll just all go to that then? That's my feeling, yeah. I think Will's right. And Young people do this with wanton abandon every six months or two years. They don't care. They're not particularly attached to any one platform. People of a certain age have spent a lot of, they've invested a lot of time in Twitter. And so it's difficult to leave it. And me too. I think you're right. I think it's great for Mastodon. I think it's great to show that what an alternative, oh God, I hate to say it, but like web 3.0 could be. <laughs> but I mean, it's the, it, it represents an alternative to what would be dictated to us. Um, and I think that's really good. It's going to be its own kind of echo chamber again. Um, it's difficult to escape that, but it's generally a good thing. But yeah, I think ultimately something cooler will come along and Twitter usage will evaporate and kind of coalesce with something slightly different but similar. Come on, Phelan, defend my point. <laughs> I think this may be a valuable lesson in teaching people that you know the whole you are the product nonsense or the getting this thing for free... I think there's a value to this whole thing. And the lulls of 
Musk making an arse of himself and being a thin-skinned baby is just too valuable as well. I mean, it just it keeps on giving it. It's like a literal gift machine. And I think, though, Mastodon, I think it will hold on. I think people have seen how a decentralized system can work. I mean, yes, it's not foolproof, but I think maybe people start to uh, maybe appreciate the technology of things more, maybe realize the flaws in a lot of decentralized systems. That could be complete wishful thinking, and I'm obviously delusional at this point at the end of the year, but uh, I kind of hope that maybe it has actually, even if it's a few people, not everybody, but if it's the right people, maybe we can do well out of this. Yeah, even if it's just techie people, that's enough. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We did say this. We did say we think it would be enough. Yeah, but you were also a miserable fucking bastard. Really, so. <laughs> but it's it's just the echo chamber. That's the thing. It doesn't break out of that, which is what some something that Twitter originally promised and did have originally was this kind of cross fertilization of people where everybody could communicate and cross communicate. And I find that difficult to see in Macedon, where the instances themselves lend themselves to a certain kind of clique. I don't get that at all because. Yeah, you've got these instances that are there might be a photography one or there might be an open source software one. But it doesn't matter to me as an end user. I just follow a bunch of people from random servers and they all just show up on my timeline as if it was a centralized Twitter. It doesn't need to be complicated. And you know, the, the, it's almost a meme at this point comparing it to email, but it's it's a bit like that. It, I don't give a fuck if you email me from Gmail, Hotmail, fucking hello kitty mail it all goes into one inbox that i see and i can reply and i'm not sure how the kind of community aspect of it of seeing replies from other people and getting conversations going with multiple people I, i'm that depends on clients and stuff but uh for me it's it's been a pretty good experience so far and uh i'm you know i gave it a go before and then I said I'd give it another go, and I find myself sticking with it. And, you know, I was willing to get myself banned from Twitter yesterday when they had the ridiculous rule about <laughs> if you link to Mastodon, we're going to ban you, which they've obviously you turned on. And I, I just quote tweeted that with a, you know, middle finger emoji and a link to my Mastodon. And I, I was willing to be banned, man. So I think that speaks volumes. I mean, I'm still on Twitch. I'm not going to delete it and flounce off in a dramatic way or anything, but I could see myself drifting more over to Mastodon and ignoring Twitter a little bit more going forward. But we'll see. We'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week with a review of our predictions and we'll make some more predictions. And uh, we'll have to see who won last year and who's going to win this coming year. Definitely me. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> So until then, I've been Joe. And I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.